How many of you like technology? I love technology when it works. We've had a bit of trouble this morning with technology, and um, again, it works when it works. It's amazing when it doesn't. It can be very frustrating. But uh, technology is the uh, topic of our discussion this morning. If you can believe that or not, Satan must have a have an agenda here. All right. How many of you have a Facebook account? Would you raise your hand? Come on, don't be shy now. How many of you have a Facebook account? I didn't, say, I didn't say do you use it. I said do you have it. Okay, keep your hands up nice and high. Everybody look around. That's a lot of people. Okay, you can put your hands down. How many of you have an Instagram account? Oh, we're getting less here. All right. How many of you have a Twitter account? An X account now. Okay. How many of you have a YouTube account? How many of you know what YouTube is? Wow, okay. All right. How many of you have a Snapchat account? Wow. All right, put your hands on. How many of you do not know what Snapchat is? Yes, that is far more people. I love it. I love it. How many of you, this is the worst one, okay? Here's the worst one. How many of you have a Pinterest account? You know what we call that in my home? Sintrist. Sintrist. Anyway, almost everyone here has some sort of social media account, and it's technology. And truthfully, when it was created, it was really quite a good thing. It kept us in the contact with people that we couldn't necessarily normally uh, maintain contact with. But however, most of social media has morphed into what I like to call influence mode. It used to be just connection mode, but now it's come to influence mode. Social media has transformed the lives of people who participate in it. The reason I asked you to raise your hands is because truthfully, just about everybody here has some sort of social media account, and it has transformed your life in some way, shape, or form. It has. In some way, shape, or form, you have been influenced by someone's post or someone's products or the trends that are on there. And there are many people now who seek to become an influencer. Again, I think Pastor Holland said that a couple of weeks ago. That is a job description now, to become an influencer. It's easy for every one of us to care about how many followers we have on our social media. If I post something, even if it's an inspirational quote, guess what I want to see? I want to see how many people viewed it, how many people liked it, how many people shared it. That's what I want to know. Because I want to be an influencer. I want to influence people. We have been sucked into the vortex of trying to become the next most popular person on the internet. We we really have. Again, maybe many of you are not pursuing that passionately. But man, when you see that you got 10 or 15 likes on that post, you're like, yeah, you're excited about that. And you are somebody who wants to give someone else likes and all of these things. Whether we passionate pers- passionately pursue this ideology or not, we all have an innate drive to become more popular, and it plays hard on our pride. It plays hard on our pride. With all the noise of the new and exciting things on social media, and it seems like there's something new all the time, uh, even TikTok is, is not actually new, but it's gaining popularity and has gained popularity very quickly. 
But even with the rise of all of these things and with the noise of social media, most people only ever get, if you become famous, 15 minutes of fame. 15 minutes of fame, um, it, it happens all the time. Somebody has a video that goes viral, and they become famous for a little bit, and then, oh, I've never heard of that person. There are very few people that can keep up with the ever-changing, ever-moving target of popularity within social media. Yet our world is ever-reaching, ever-drawn to that target. Making it big on the internet, that's what we want. By the way, I myself am not exempt from this in case you thought so. Every week my sermons get posted on the internet. And I watch as the views stack up. Two, three, four. Yep, not very many. And I'll be honest, I myself have become disappointed with the lack of results from my posts. I have even put the value of my self-worth in how many views I've gotten on the internet. I follow some preachers on the internet, and they have millions upon millions of viewers at one single time. And I'm not kidding with the two, three, four. And so truthfully, if we're not careful, what happens is we value our self-worth on the views, on the likes, on the, uh, the, the uh, shares, all of those things. We have our self-worth wrapped up in those things. And we just live in a society that is rife with the need to be popular, be accepted by the crowd. Everyone's putting their best foot forward, and I, I can't stand, um, there's all kinds of, you'll never guess what they did in the caption. And then you notice that it's set up, and it's like really frustrating. I can't stand that. I, I want to see real life, but everybody's putting their best foot forward to become famous, and we've tried to make everything in our lives important. This is what I had for dinner tonight. This is what my child did. And the list goes on and on and on of all the things that we make important. We've tried to make everything in our lives important. But what we've done is we've made now nothing important. Because everything is important, now truthfully, nothing is important. And if you're getting really uncomfortable because I'm preaching on social media this morning, that's not the whole sermon, okay? We're going somewhere with this. Paul and Barnabas are faced with a very similar situation in Acts 14. You say, social media? No. There was no internet. There was no social media. But there was the pressure of becoming famous. And that is exactly where Satan wanted them. Acts 14. Acts 14 and verse 1. Acts 14 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. Okay, so they're seeing some success. Okay, so they go, they speak. Jews and Greeks are both getting saved. But watch this. But the unbelieving Jews, what did they do? They stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. By the way, let me stop right here. Be very careful who you listen to. 
Be very careful who you listen to. And again, we all have these social media accounts, and many of us may not even post on them, but it's what we're viewing on those accounts that we need to be careful of. Be very careful who you listen to because these made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Important. Verse 3. Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they spent a lot of time in this city of Iconium. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. Part believed we hate these guys, part believed we love these guys. Verse 5. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews, with the rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. Oh, wow. Okay, so this is important. This gives us a little bit of context. Paul and Barnabas are basically getting ready to be killed in Iconium. Not exactly a good situation, is it? But then things begin to change. Their popularity begins to change in the next cities, Lystra and Derby. Before we get into the message, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all you've done for us. Father, what a privilege it is to serve you, and it is an awesome opportunity to do so. I pray that you would help us to not take it lightly. Father, as we come to this place, we open this word. I pray that today you would help us to remain focused on who you are and what it is you've called us to do. Father, that we would remain focused on our purpose and that we would realize that we are made for more. Father, I pray that you would help us today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice today that Paul and Barnabas are doing the exact same thing in every city. In every city they go to, what are they doing? They're going into a synagogue or they're going into some uh, populated place. And what are they doing? They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the gospel, and you have a city divided. Some that really are enjoying it and accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and others that are completely rejecting it and getting rid of it. Absolutely, we do not want to hear any of this. So we have a city divided. So they're continuing. I want you to see in verse 6. So they are aware of it, what? That they were going to be stoned. And what did they do? They fled unto Lystra and Derbe. Cities of Lycaonia, and about the region that lieth round about. And verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. They are going to be stoned, they're going to be killed, and so they flee there and go to another couple of cities, a region, and there they preach the gospel. Let's just be extremely clear here. These men knew what their purpose was. They knew what their purpose was. It was extremely clear to them. Peter and John had experienced all kinds of amazing healings and wonderful things. And these guys are about to get ready to see the same thing. But they knew what their purpose was. They knew that they were supposed to proclaim the gospel everywhere and anywhere they went. And that's just what they did. So they're proclaiming and they're proclaiming Jesus Christ in verse 8. The Bible says this, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother, mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak. The same heard Paul preach the gospel, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. 
man, pretty incredible. He preaches the gospel. This man hears him speak and basically comes to him and says, hey, I believe in Paul saying, listen, okay, now I want you to stand up and walk. You have the faith to be healed. And he does. Powerful, powerful things. This is truly something amazing. And verse 11 is where Paul and Barnabas go viral. Verse 11. The Bible says this. And when the people saw what Paul had done, They lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of of Laconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garland under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. So hopefully you can kind of think this through with me. Paul and Barnabas healed this lame man. And everyone in Lystra and Derby see this and realize that there is something special about these guys. Now let me ask you a question. Was there something special about Paul and Barnabas? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah, there truly was. There truly was something special about them. The people of Derby and Lystra had never experienced anything like this before. And so what do they automatically make the assumption that these two men must be gods. They've come down in the likeness of men. They, they, they are so amazing. Basically, they went as viral as you can go in Lystra and Derby. They went all the way from just being visitors to being gods. Again, please let me make sure you are following this story. The last city that Paul and Barnabas were in, the men of that city tried to what? Stone them. Now, they're literally being treated like gods, and they are given god names, Mercury and Jupiter. What a change, eh? From the lowest of lows, I'm going to be killed to I am now a god. Now, let me ask you, how would you handle that situation? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Getting all that popularity in such a short amount of time. What a welcome change. Nobody, I don't think anybody that I know would love to be constantly threatened to be killed all the time. I wouldn't. Instead, they get threatened to be killed and then now they're gods. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that Satan cannot stop the people of God, but he can distract them? You ever notice that Satan cannot stop the people of God, but he can distract them? And Satan is very, very, very good at distracting the people of God. Though there are many methods of distraction, and there are many. There's millions, if not trillions of ways to be distracted. All of these distractions carry with them the same purpose. And here it is. Satan's greatest distraction is to cause the creation to think he is more glorious than the Creator. Don't miss it. Satan's greatest distraction is to cause the creation to think he is more glorious than the Creator. He desperately wants that. Satan, from the beginning of time, has endeavored to make mankind feel like God is keeping something from him. 
He has done nothing but to promote mankind as a God in place of the one and only God. Some of you will remember the story of Adam and Eve. And he, God tells Adam, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can have, eat of any other tree in the garden, but that one you cannot eat of. And what does Satan do? Satan comes to Eve and he tempts her and he says, has God said that you shouldn't eat? And she says, yeah, we, we're not allowed to eat or we're not allowed to touch it. And he says, listen, why? She says, because in the day that we eat thereof, we shall surely die. <laughs> Satan goes, you're not going to die. God just knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. See what he's constantly trying to do? He's trying to get mankind to feel like he's his own God. He's trying to get mankind to feel like, hey, this almighty God that created you, he's trying to keep something from you. He's trying to do something a, a, a bigger and better above you, and he's just trying to use you as pawns. You have the opportunity to be your own God. You have the opportunity to do your own thing. Charles Spurgeon said this, Satan is adept and teaching us how to steal our master's glory. Satan is adept in teaching us how to steal our master's glory. Again, I want you to think with me this morning. I know it's tough. Sunday morning, you've had a long week. But hear me. Think with me. Put yourself in the situation that Paul and Barnabas find themselves in. The people are literally treating you like God. I want you to notice uh, verse 13. Verse 13, just the first line. The priest of Jupiter. This was already an established God in their minds. They had a priest for him already. And then all of a sudden, now they're calling Barnabas Jupiter. Can you imagine? And as soon as he's called Jupiter, the priest gets up and he begins to serve him in any way he possibly can. Listen, you can't tell me that you wouldn't love that. I like grapes. I'd like some grapes, please. I'm a little warm. Could you just get that palm branch out and fan me a little bit? I'm sick of walking today. Would you please carry me wherever I go? Come on. you got to admit that you would love it. You have arrived. You've made it to the top. Everything you've ever wanted, you can now have. Just say the word. Money? No object. Influence? Everywhere. You are God. You say one thing, you are God, and so all of a sudden whatever you say is used. Nothing will ever be withholding for you. Your wish is their command. Isn't that all what we secretly want? Deep down inside of us, secretly want our husband and our wife or our, our parents or whoever, just people in general, just to do what we want them to do. You know what that is, right? Pretty simple words called pride. And we all have it. We all possess it. And it all carries with us everywhere we go. It's what we inwardly desire. 
to have the utmost respect, to have the utmost power given to us to wield as we see fit. Yes, our humanity desires it very, very much. And by the way, this is exactly what Satan wants for you. He wants you to have power. He wants you to have prestige. He wants you to have popularity. He wants you to have it so bad. Why? Because he is adept in teaching us how to steal our master's glory. D.L. Moody said this, Satan doesn't care what we worship as long as we don't worship God. Satan doesn't care what we worship as long as we don't worship God. Satan is desperately trying to make you God of your own life. Desperately. He's getting you to make your own decisions. Hey, I'm a man. I can make my own decisions. Hey, I'm, I'm a woman. We have rights in this country now. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. We're all the ruler of our own destiny. The captain of our soul. Hey, everybody, shine in your own way. Follow your heart. Live your life. You live your truth and I'll live my truth. Have it your way. You do you. Have you heard any of those? It's constant. It's everywhere in our society. And I would beg to say that it's everywhere in our church. And in our churches. We all want what we want. Every one of us. All of us. In some fashion, shape, or form, we all want this. But all of these things, every one of them, they sound vaguely familiar. Let me read them to you again. Ruler of your own destiny. God of your own life. Captain of your own soul. Shine in your own way. Follow your heart. Live your life. Live your truth. Have it your way. You do you. Sounds vaguely familiar to me. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible gives us a story about Moses having a conversation with God in a burning bush. Very miraculous thing that's going on. And God is talking to Moses about going back to Egypt and delivering his people. And Moses very sheepishly says, well, whom should I say that has sent me? And what does God answer? He answers, I am that I am. You tell them that I am has sent you. You know what God's saying here? God is saying, I am everything. I am all-powerful. I am all-knowing. I am all-present. I am everything. I know everything. I'm in everything. I am. He is the sufficiency of everything. But we have a culture not just outside of these walls, but inside of these walls that are trying to be their own I am. Aren't we? Because we're saying things like, I am popular. I am good at this. I am fill in the blank. And we are trying to take on the very essence of God on our own life. And it's rampant. Again, well, it is rampant in our culture outside of these walls. But I'd beg to say it's rampant in the culture inside. I've spent a great deal of time trying to describe the problem. It's 
So let me give you a solution. I hate giving you a problem without a solution. Let me warn you, the solution is not all cupcakes and rainbows. We leave, we've left Paul and Barnabas as gods. Most of us would think that's all cupcakes and rainbows, right? But I want you just to stop and think. Let's say they go on with this little charade. Where did they get the power to do the job in the first place? Help me out. Where did they get the power to do the job in the first place? God or the Holy Spirit? If they go on with this little charade and they begin to take everything for themselves, do you think that power is going to remain with them? So what's going to happen? Pretty soon, they're going to figure out that they're not actually gods. And you know what happens when you try to insist that you are a god when you are not really a god? You're probably going to die. You may even be sacrificed. Listen, it won't end well for them if they keep this charade up, but that's what we think, don't we? We think, ah, look at where I've gotten myself and I can keep myself here. When in reality we cannot. So what's the solution? What are we going to do? Look at verse 14. So they, to to give you back context, verse 13. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people. Verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, what did they do? They rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past have suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these saying, scarce restrained they the people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Again, put yourself in this situation. They're going to start doing sacrifices for you. Paul and Barnabas can't stand it. They run in shouting, don't do this, don't do this. And the Bible says there in verse 18, they they scarce, they barely restrained people from giving sacrifice. They stopped the entire thing. They stopped the entire thing. They stopped the entire charade. The, The whole facade is over. They stopped the whole thing by humbling themselves and doing what? And glorifying God. Mark it down. Mark it down every single time. Humble yourself and glorify God. Humble yourself and glorify God. Listen, you get a little popularity or somebody says, hey, you did a really good job at work today or hey, we're giving you a promotion or the list goes on and on and on and on. Let me encourage you, humble yourself and glorify God. Humble yourself and glorify God. John the Baptist put it this way, he must increase but I must decrease. Let me ask you an important question this morning. Who gave you the power to do what you've done thus far? It's God. God could at any moment take your breath away. God could at any moment 
give you anything that has ever walked the planet earth. Listen, he can do it all. He has given you the ability. He has given you the strength. He has given you everything you have. And here he gave Paul and Barnabas the strength. Paul and Barnabas used God's ability and they became famous. They used God's ability, God's power, and they became famous. Had they used God's power and had they used God's ability to become famous for themselves, they would have immediately squelched the power of God in their lives. I'm going to go on on a little bit of a limb. I don't think it's that far. And say 2023 Christianity is powerless because we are trying to be God. We're trying to take our own. And listen, I started with social media. It just doesn't happen in social media, just for the record. It happens in so many areas of our lives. Hey, you're doing a really good job raising your children. Well, thank you. Hey, pastor, that was a great message today. I know. Hey, you're doing a great job at work, or you're, you're doing a great job at school, teenagers or kids. Listen, it's very easy for us to go, yeah, I am doing a good job, aren't I? It's very easy for us to take that glory. Listen, this is so simple, but it's so everyday. And truthfully, when we take the power of God on ourselves, we are just like Satan. You know why Satan got kicked out of heaven? Because he wanted to be like God. He was, he was second most powerful being in all the earth, in all the universe. But he wasn't happy with second. He was unwilling to humble himself under the almighty hand of God. And so he gets kicked out of heaven. And since that day, that's all he has tried to do to Christianity. Listen, can I, can I encourage you? We were made for so much more. We were made for so much more than living powerless. We were made to live powerful. We see Paul and Barnabas living the exact same thing. Listen, I want to encourage you. The same God Paul and Barnabas are serving is the same God we serve. 2,000 years later, we have the same God who can give us any power that we desire, but not if we're going to use it for ourselves. We must humble ourselves and glorify God, we were made to bring glory to God. I want to show you Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He is worthy. Can I encourage you who is not worthy? Right here. I'm not worthy. I am just a wretch, just a sinner saved by grace. I have nothing inside of myself. I have nothing good inside of there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There is only one righteous, that is Jesus Christ, and through him we deserve nothing. Through him we've received everything. Let's finish the story. Verse 19. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, 
who persuaded the people, and watch this, having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. So some people from the same city, Iconium, come down to Lystra and Derby, and this time they're successful. They stone him. And if you don't know what stoning is in the Bible, it's not like throwing little pebbles at them. Picture a rock that you can barely pick up and dropping that on someone. That's stoning. Legs are being broken. Ribs are being broken. They stone them to death. And here, in verse 19, they take him out of the city supposing he's dead. Oh, he's dead. We're done with him. Listen, it's not all cupcakes and rainbows when you stand up and do right. It's not all cupcakes and rainbows when you say, hey, I appreciate the fact that you've given me the glory, but I want to turn that around and give God the glory. You, I would never say that to my boss. Why? It might get me, what? Fired. You see, this standing cost, almost cost Paul his life. But you see, that's how passionate he was about his purpose. That's how passionate he was. That's how much he knew what his purpose was to bring glory and honor to God. And by the way, that's for every one of us. Listen, you know why your boss doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Perhaps it's because you haven't told him. Do you know why your neighbor hasn't asked Jesus Christ as a personal Savior? Maybe because we haven't told them. Listen, it's going to cost us something. And I'm ashamed to say that I have withheld myself sometimes because I'm too ashamed to say something about it. I'm just more happy to take all the glory on my own. Let's continue. Verse 20. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up, came into the city, and the next day he departed with Paul, excuse me, with Barnabas to Derby. And here it is again, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel in that city, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra. So stop right here, okay? So he gets pulled out of Lystra dead. He rises up. He goes back into Lystra. And the next morning, they leave. They go to Derby. And when they're done there at Derby, what do they do? They go back to Lystra. Most of us wouldn't do that. But the whole time they're preaching and teaching the word of God, they go to Iconium and Antioch. What do they do? Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to what? Continue in the faith. And that we must go through much tribulation. Enter into the kingdom of God. I wish I could tell you that if you serve God your whole life, You'll never have any problems. I really, really, really wish I could do that. I really wish I could tell you that if you serve God, you'll act like a God. Everyone will love you. Everyone will promote you. You'll be on cloud nine for the rest of your life. I wish I could tell you that. It's just not the truth. But consider the alternative. Let's try to get famous on this earth, shall we? Fame is fleeting. Fame is fleeting. One minute they're gods, and the next minute they're left for dead. If you haven't heard of cancel culture, fame is fleeting. 
You do one thing out of line that the general narrative doesn't want, and you're canceled, you're done, you're not famous anymore. It is far better to live a life on purpose, fulfilling what God has called you to do, because listen, whether in this life or not, there is one day that God will reward you. And it will be with rewards that you could never ask or think on this earth. And you'll walk around heaven. And I love there's a song called Faces. You'll walk around and you'll see the faces of the ones who've come to Jesus Christ because of your influence. Because of your purpose. Because you were made for something more. You'll see them and there'll be hundreds if not thousands of them. And listen... You can just point to him and say, it was all because of him. Paul and Barnabas were fulfilling their purpose. They were preaching the gospel and people were not being pointed to Paul and Barnabas. They were being pointed to Jesus Christ. Write this down if you would, please. Point them to Christ. Point them to Christ. Listen, I'm glad all of you are here today. But if you're here to see me walk around up here and yell and scream, I'm sorry, but that's the wrong reason to be here. You ought to know Christ. You ought to know Christ as your Savior, and we ought to point people to them. We ought to let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Refuse, refuse to let God's glory be consumed by your glory. You were made for so much more. Let God be God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I pray that, Father, as we reflect on our own lives this morning, that you would, first of all, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to realize the pull the vortex that is going on in our world and it's becoming a part of our churches. Help it not to be once named among us. But Father, I pray that we would take stock of our lives and look deep. Father, if there's one person here today that does not know you as personal Savior, they're trusting in themselves to get to heaven or in their good works to get to heaven. Father, they can't do it that way. It's got to be through Jesus Christ. So today we pray that your will be accomplished. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.